Hello and welcome to Non-Breaking Space, which you can find online at nonbreakingspace.tv. Non-Breaking Space is a show where we'll seek out the best, brightest, and smartest people on the web and talk to them about how and why they do what they do. Your hosts are Christopher Schmidt and Dave McFarland, two web designers, authors, and trainers who have a passion for sharing knowledge about the web. I'm Chris from Canada, a web designer and podcaster. Christopher and Dave have invited along to help push the record button and keep everyone on track here on Non-Breaking Space. Our guest for today's show is Jeff Croft a designer and developer working out of his home in Seattle. He works at the web agency Engineworks, and he also is a blogger, speaker, critic, and industry thought leader. Jeff's the co-founder of the popular ebook sharing community, Lendl.me, and has co-authored a couple of books, Pro CSS Techniques and Web Standards Creativity. He's been working on the web full-time since 1995. While Jeff does plenty of programming, his true passion lies in design, user experience, and communication. So without further ado, I'll turn it over to Christopher and Dave and their conversation with Jeff. Cool. Thanks, Chris. Uh, yeah, Dave, my awesome co-host, can't make it today. So filling in is also awesome, uh, Gene Crawford <laughs> of Period 3 Agency and Unmatched Style. Hey, how's it going, Gene? Hey, good. I, I was wondering how you are going to do that if you're going to be like the second awesome, like the less ah. than awesome guy. Ah, dude, man, everyone's awesome <laughs> in my, my eyes. So it's all right. Well, I appreciate it. I, I'm, I'm doing great, man. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm great. I'm looking forward to uh, to our guest today and uh, and all this stuff. Uh, yeah. So just want to talk to you, like uh, as we record this, you just wrapped, wrapped up uh, CSS off. You announced That's right. all the winners and stuff like that. So how did that go? Yeah, we we announced the top twenty five winners, and um, it went great. Uh, it totally when we pushed the pushed the button to announce it, it totally swamped our server. So we were for like an hour there fighting with just getting trucked getting totally trounced with uh, traffic and uh, so that was fun so I, I I consider that success you know so and CSS soft was like a kind of a design uh, yeah, sorry, yeah contest for CSS yep. so That's so basically right. people so like the idea is like basically you gave people a Photoshop mock-up is that mm-hmm. right and then people had to recreate it with CSS and yeah it was judged by uh, industry peers and yeah some, some a bunch of bums basically yeah a bunch um, of it, yeah people. We got um we got the Powervell team, uh, Trent Walton and, and his team to do a uh, PSD, and we threw it out there and gave everybody two weeks to code it up, and uh, they competed for prizes and fame. Uh, top prize is a MacBook Air, so um, mm. that's pretty awesome. I'll take that over fame. Nice. I, yeah, I would too. Yeah, that's nice. The Yeah, so I think all the kids had fun doing it. Uh, we're gonna do it again. Yeah, how many people signed up to do it this year? Man, we had almost five thousand people sign up, and we had almost four, a little bit over four hundred entries. Oh, that's pretty good. So, yeah, and it took like three months to review all the entries, and <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Yeah, all right. cool. Man. Lots of fun. Well, someone else who is really good with the web, the front end, and also a little bit of the back end is our our guest for today, uh, Jeff Croft. Jeff, are you there? I am. What's up, guys? Cool, man. Well, I'm glad you're here for the the show and everything like that. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Hey, um, yeah, I just want to just you know, we we kind of ask this of, of all our guests and stuff like that. But uh, uh, how did you get uh, involved with the web? How, what led you to web and designing for the web? Well, uh, it was quite a while ago. I was um, I was in school in Topeka, Kansas. At I was actually a music student, and um, I was married at a pretty young age and had a daughter, and so um, I needed to do some work, and I just sort of fell into it. I, I, um, I was doing music school full-time, but at some point I, I said, I really need to get a full-time job. So I switched to doing music school part-time um, and managed to get a job at a little um, 
uh, it was called Kansas Press Association. They're basically a um, kind of a uh, organization that oversees uh, a lot of the journalism in the state of Kansas. And um, they were, you know, just starting to get into web stuff. It was this was 1995, and uh, I was kind of locked into a job there, and um, and then that kind of progressed to me working in journalism. Uh, a good bit. I worked at Topeka Capital Journal, which is a newspaper, and later I worked at the Lawrence Journal World in Lawrence, Kansas. Um, and that just kind of, I just kind of fell into it. And, and at some, you know, after a few years of that, I realized that I was uh, making more money doing that than I probably was ever going to make as a musician or a music teacher. So I just ended up quitting school. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, so you went, you had various newspaper-related jobs, right? And yeah, yeah. So was that mostly just web, or were you doing print design, or no? It was all it was all web. I don't have really any print background, although definitely in some of those jobs, I was definitely working with the print designers on you know establishing sort of brand brand consistency and that kind of thing. Oh, awesome! Yeah, that's that's interesting. I I I'd read that you came from a you know newspaper background and stuff. Um, what do you just quickly? What do you think about newspapers online like today? I mean, we we have. Uh, Oh man, what was the one that Ethan Marcotte worked on? Tell me out. Boston Globe. Boston Globe. So, like, the you know, sort of going from where you were then to something like that now. I mean, what's your opinion on where they're going? Well, I mean, I think you know that 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 Boston Globe work is is amazing. Ethan and 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 all those guys did a great job. I think that um, you know, from a design perspective and, and from kind of a web perspective, I think that. It's continued to advance and at a good rate, and 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 things are looking really good. Um, the the business side of it is a little bit more questionable, right? Uh, um, but you know that's that's less. I'm less interested in that. So uh, in terms of the uh, the stuff that I care about, I think that there are several several you know particularly some of the bigger newspapers that are really doing some great work. Uh, Boston Globe definitely, New York Times is always doing a good job. Um, the Guardian, I think, it always does a good job over in the UK, um, and it's uh, you know it's it's been fun to see. I mean, when when I probably the kind of real heyday of me working in journalism was in like 2005 and six, and I, when I was working for the Lawrence Journal World in, in Lawrence, Kansas, and um, little tiny family-owned newspaper, um, but it was it was actually uh, really kind of on the cutting edge of things. Um, we were actually the team that uh, developed the Django framework. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I feel like we were really kind of on the cutting edge and it's nice to see some of the stuff that we were trying to do is sort of now bubbling its way up to some of the big, uh, the big organizations. So it's pretty cool. So, so for people who don't know, like what is, was Django? Uh, Django is a, um, web, rapid web application development framework written in Python. Uh, so it's, you know, it's comparable to, uh, Ruby on Rails or like, uh, Cake for PHP or Symfony for PHP. Um, or MVC for for .NET, so it's a uh, it's just it's a it's a web application framework, but it's for the Python language rather than Ruby or PHP or Java or whatever. So what and did so you have what did you have to do with actually giving, I guess birth? That's terrible. But to, to Django. <laughs> well, uh, I would say I mean technically nothing. I, I in fact my name is not in the uh, in the author's file in the Django source code and. Um, but I, I, my job there was as a designer and a front-end developer. Um, so I was, uh, you know, just doing that sort that side of things. But, um, mm-hmm. but it was I was working directly with the developers who were 
giving birth to Django. <laughs> um, and uh, so I, I definitely feel like I at least have some uh, some uh, contributions just in terms of, hey, you know, you, what if you guys did it this way? That would be that would be really beneficial to those of us on the front end and that sort of thing. So um, so mostly just my my personal involvement was mostly just in, in sort of uh, some advice and encouragement to the developers who were really doing all the real hard work. Are you still involved in that sort of capacity with it now? Um, not, not, uh, technically, um, I mean, not, not directly with the core team. I, I still, I use Django a lot myself and I'm definitely pretty involved in the community. Um, a lot of the core team, some of the core team has kind of changed. Um, I don't, I don't know those sure. guys personally as well. So I'm, I'm not too directly involved, but I, I mean, other than just as a, as a user of an open source project who contributes whatever he can. So. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, our, uh, you know, we run a, a I don't know what the hell you call us, like a firm or an agency or whatever. Sure. But uh, we build websites for people. And our, our, our head uh, developer is just head over heels with Django at the moment. I can't get oh, nice. him to stop talking about it. So um, uh, <laughs> cool. it's very exciting to you know, be talking to somebody who's there from the beginning and I get to rub it in his face. So I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. So, so you mentioned that you were, you were happy to see some of the things that you were working on back then uh, come, I guess not come, I guess, Come to the forefront of what designer? Like, what what type of things were were you? Well, I think it's it's um I don't you know I don't know if I would say so much in, in terms of design, but I think a lot of just sort of conceptually things that we were doing a lot of um you know a lot more interactive new stuff, a lot of uh, sort of uh, data journalism. So you know the sor- sorts of things we we're putting uh, putting out interactive projects, which were basically just um, uh, a boatload of data about some some uh, event or topic or whatever was going on and, and giving the readers a kind of immersive way to explore all of that data. I feel like New York Times is doing a lot of that kind of stuff now where, you know, whether it's uh, election data or, or whatever, where it's kind of like um, we're just going to put out all the data and give uh, a, a fun and, and immersive kind of front end to, um, to that and, then, and let the readers uh, find the stories, you know, what, figure out what the stories are with the, what, what does all that data showing? So a lot of that kind of stuff I feel like is getting, um, uh, is getting more and more popular with some of the bigger papers. And, and I feel like we pioneered some of that. So it's pretty cool. Well, so you went from there. I mean, how did you get from there to, uh, like blue flavor? Right. Uh, I went directly from there to blue flavor. I, um, I actually, um, I, and, and what is blue flavor for people who, okay. Yeah. So blue flavor was, uh, <laughs> blue flavor was a, uh, a small design agency, um, based in Seattle, which is where I'm at now. Um, and, uh, it was founded by, uh, Keith Robinson, Brian Fling, Nick Fink and, and Matt May, who were all, um, sort of early web standards advocates and, 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 uh, you know, I, sort of bigger, sort of they were among the names in the industry back in the early and mid two thousands. And, um, and they founded this small agency in Seattle. And I knew these guys from, from conferences and events and stuff. So, um, when I, you know, I decided at some point that I thought it was kind of ready to move out of the Midwest. And also I kind of wanted to, um, I'd been working in journalism for a while and I kind of wanted to try to get into the agency side of things where I could work on a lot of different client projects and that kind of thing. So, um, so I just ended up talking to them, and, and it just ended up working out. So I moved out to Seattle, and uh, I guess that was in 2007, um, and uh, worked for them for a while. The company sort of uh, um, died a, a not very pretty death, um, 
it just sort of it, it's not worth rehashing <laughs> here, but it but it, uh, it it sort of fell apart. And so uh, at that point, um, I uh, hooked up with uh, Carl Smith, who runs Engine Works, uh, which is actually I feel like Engine Works and, and Blue Flavor were sort of um, uh, brothers from another mother or, or something like that. Like definitely <laughs> kind of, kind of similar um, similar types of companies. And 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 so I uh, and Engine Works is at the time was it was it. Jacksonville, Florida uh, company, and, and it was entirely based in Jacksonville, Florida. And now we're actually very distributed. We have people all over. But so I, I was kind of the, the first uh, remote employee there, and um, and that hmm. was that's, that, that kind of worked out. So that's where I'm still at. So so you're still enjoying working remotely for Engine Works? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. In uh, Blue Flavor was not distributed. Right, uh, right. Blue Flavor was was all well. We did have, we actually did have uh, for a while. We had Garrett Murray um, who was working mm-hmm. in New York, but uh, but yeah, the team was basically all in in Seattle. Um, yeah, I, I enjoy it, and I'll be honest, that I wasn't sure when I when I uh, agreed to do it. I was not sure how I would like a working at home and uh, and b um, you know being remote and and not having people around to to bounce ideas off of and whatever and. Because I actually did uh, for a brief time. I, I while I was working at Blue Flavor, I uh, I was back in Kansas City for a few months um, working, and and it and it was a struggle. So I was a little worried uh, when I decided to do that with Engine, but um, it actually it actually has worked out great. I think that at Carl and, and and all of Engine Works does an amazing job of keeping the remote employees really plugged in and um, and in the loop. And it's really it's sort of evolved. To the point now where you know, it started out where the team was in Jacksonville and then there was one or two remote employees, but it's really evolved to the point where there's really no no central location. There's still a couple people in Jacksonville, but there's ju- there's just as many people here in Seattle and, and in other places. So, uh, so it's um, it's sort of evolved to a truly distributed team where where we don't have a choice but to to keep everybody plugged in and everybody involved. So, so how so. Do, how do you collaborate uh, remotely like that? Well, um, we don't have any. Uh, there's not any really great secrets other than, I mean, you know, in terms of we use the same tools everybody else does, you know, we're using Basecamp and we, and we, uh, we use things like Campfire for, for chat and, and of course I am and Skype and, and all these things. And, um, so there's not really any secret to it. It's just, uh, it's really just about committing and, and, and deciding like, we're going to, we're going to stay in touch. We're not going to let one person just sit over there, you know, in a vacuum and, and disappear. Ah. For, um, so it's not, you know, it's not really, a there's not really a technical solution to it. It's more of a of a people solution, you know. Right. Well, yeah. Well, Carl was at the, the InControl Orlando conference, and yeah. uh, and uh, one of the one of the interesting things he said about uh, um, being part of this uh, n- distributed team was that uh, is that you you feel like he needs to over communicate uh, yeah. with with everyone and make sure that they're on the same page. And so his example was if I have a meeting with someone from my team or from a client. I could just go on like a project site and say, "Here are the results of that meeting," or and that that will you know give people the information, but they will understand why those uh, the, the, those results happen. And so he has to go in there and say, uh, "This is what led to this discussion. Like this led to this part, and yeah. this is what the results were." And so and then even said like even then that's not enough. Sometimes I have to go back and and really just yeah. kind of rehash the whole thing. So. Yeah, it's so true. It's definitely. I mean, like, I think he's right about having to over communicate. But I think there are some nice uh, sort of um, 
side benefits of that. Like when you over communicate and, and, and when every, you know, every thread in Basecamp uh, kind of starts with a, with, with a, without an assumption that everybody kind of knows what's been going on, uh, you end up with a lot of documentation, uh, which is really sort of a side benefit is that it's nice with, in dealing with the clients. You know, like there, there's always, we're kind of always reiterating the assumptions and, 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 and things that were going on. And, and I think I feel like that, um, that helps with the, with the clients, you know, they, they see a lot of that and, uh, and it just keeps them grounded and, and keeps their expectations in line. And, and so That's how would you, so how would you describe your, like, what type of projects do you work on? Like what, what type of, you know, your front end, but what type of, I guess, work that you usually tackle for Brandon works? I'm actually doing both front end and back end for engine works these days. Um, and, uh, and and so it's it, my personal role is pretty um, it's pretty varied. I do everything from project management to back end development in Python and Django to front end development, you know, CSS and JavaScript to um, to uh, des design. Um, so I, I'm pretty varied. Um, I have over the last year or so, I've kind of moved into more a little bit more of a sort of project management sort of role. Uh, kind of leading some of the teams. We what we like to do is we like we, we like to break up into into small teams for each project. And the, you ask about the sort of projects. I mean, the sort of projects really uh, vary pretty widely. We take up we, we're willing to take just about anything. Um, and it's really just about you know what sounds interesting and what we feel like we can um, we can really help with. Uh, you know, something I've been working on lately is a is actually a fantasy football app, which is cool because I'm a sports fan, so that's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, We've done, you know, stuff for everything from, uh, you know, like websites for symphonies to uh, apps for in the aviation industry. So it's it's pretty varied, and um, most of our work has still been web based. Although we're definitely moving towards more uh, more mobile na native mobile apps as well. Um, I shouldn't say we're moving away from the web, but we're we're adding that in, uh, you know, more and more native mobile development. Um, so yeah. So you find yourself doing more development yourself, or are you still mainly focused primarily I, I, towards the design in a project? I still consider myself a designer first, but um, but more and more, I feel like in terms of actual uh, you know hours spent, it's pretty close to fifty fifty, um, and uh, that's that's been a real change over the you know really over the past five years or so for me. That I mean, I was definitely a pure designer at one time. And the only sort of coding I did was markup and, and CSS. But over the years, I've just I've gotten more and more interested in programming and and and, and the back end of things. And um, and it's and and I sort of resisted it for a while. Like I uh, like if we had been having this conversation two years ago, I probably would have said, "Yeah, I do it, but I don't like it. I don't. I don't. <laughs> you know." Uh, but I've just I've I've sort of embraced it more and more. So I I I, I think of myself as pretty much a true hybrid anymore. Right. Well, like speaking of like two years ago, um, there's like one thing I want to bring up is that uh, you were working on the uh, about the time uh, Engine Works recite uh, recite redesign, if you will. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. And so, um, and it's it's still the same design that's up there like right now as we record this. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, like so, like um, and you and on the website, you, there's a blog post with you doing a screencast and talking about your process with that. Oh right. Right. Yeah, so I and about that. <laughs> <laughs> we do. We do research, man. We know who you are. Uh, so, no better uh, than me. I can't um, even remember what I did last night. Oh, dude, well, that's 
That's probably uh, three, that's probably yeah, a function of alcohol, though. <laughs> uh, well, the reason why I brought it up is because like. Uh, uh, you know, you, you go through the, the example of design, and and uh, the design for now, for like the, what we're talking about, is like there's a nice little tilted uh, angle header and footer on on the site design, and um, and you talk about how you you built the site with web fonts, and well, not web fonts, but fonts and t- and type, and then there was like this kind of chemistry with the type on there. And um, do you normally design that way with 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 type uh, as a as a central element? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think, um, you know, from a design perspective, I've always, uh, I, I feel like there's a little bit of a continuum of it for in graphic design. Uh, I'm going to oversimplify this and somebody's probably going to find it offensive, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, uh, there's kind of a continuum, I think, between uh, the, a very, you know, somebody who got into visual and graphic design via like illustration and drawing and that kind of thing. And then um, the other end of that spectrum is probably more somebody who is, has been uh, focused on type and layout and composition. And that's definitely more of the end that I, I can't draw for. Uh, I almost said a curse word. I don't know if that's allowed. I can't draw. We'll just leave it at that. I can't draw. Um, so yeah, for, for, for me, from a design perspective, um, I'm always uh, starting with type and grids and that kind of, I like to put those kind of constraints on me. Type, grid, color are the main things that you know, I like to set set forth uh, first and then um, those constraints, you know, I can kind of be creative within those constraints. So um, so that's a long answer to say yes. I, <laughs> I Type is usually at the forefront of anything that I'm working on. Right. And so, um, and so the, uh, the type house, type foundry that you work with for Indianworks, um, I, I don't know how to say their name, but H FJ, I'm not sure. Yeah, Humphrey Jones. I, I, might, not Jones. Saying it, I, might, right. I might not be saying it right, right. either, but yeah, right. So like, so you, uh, they actually don't allow you to uh, <laughs> embed their fonts in, into mm-hmm. web pages. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, this was a one of one tenant I think of EngineWorks as a company is that we we do have a tendency to be a little bit irreverent, and uh, this was definitely a case where we um, we knew going in that that they were not uh, going to be okay with us using their fonts this way. But it's, but we, it was sort of like one of those things where we thought, you know, we're just going to take a stand and, and do it and see what happens. And, and because it was a, a situation like I'm sure you guys have dealt with this, whether it's with TV shows or music or, or whatever, where you own the thing, we, we bought the fonts, we own those fonts, mm-hmm. but we, and we would love, we'd be happy to pay for a, a license to, to, to use them on the web, but they won't let us. There's like literally no way that you can. It's like, I want to watch it. I don't know if you saw the oatmeal thing from the other day, the oatmeal comic where he was like, I want to watch Game of Thrones. I went to iTunes, I went to Hulu, I went, I tried to pay. And eventually I just said, screw it, I'm going to pirate the thing because you won't let me pay no matter how much I want. That was kind of the, the feeling we had at the time about these typefaces was like, we won't, we own these and we're willing to pay and you won't let us. So you know we're just going to take a stand and and do it anyway, and it and it didn't work. I mean they 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 sent us a cease and desist, and and we ceased and desist, and and the, the typefaces that you see now are are um, you know the, the sort of the, the next best thing that we could find on uh, Typekit, and uh, and they they work fine, but they're definitely not quite as elegant as HFJ's uh, uh, mm-hmm. typefaces that we were using. But we we thought it was worth. Uh, 
worth because it, I mean, it was actually good because we ended up in a conversation with them and we were at least able to tell them how we feel about this and explain to them that like we're we're their biggest fan. We love their typefaces and right. and we want we just want to be able to use them and 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 we please just give us a way that we can do this legally. It's not that we're trying to break the law. It's that we you, we we want to pay and you won't let us. You know right. Yeah, yeah and it's, it's, it's got yeah, it's kind of funny because like on their website, uh, actually research is like, hey, well, made it's been two years. Let me go see what has happened since then, uh-huh. and they still list on their FAQ three ways that they, they you can like use your fonts online, and one is like Cipher. Yeah, yeah, Cipher Bitmap <laughs> Bitmap Graphics, which is right. like, why would you want to do that? And then uh, Flash, right. like like and a Flash project. It, so, it, they yeah. definitely now. I in their defense, I have heard from. Um, some of the folks at Typekit who um, who I think have a relationship with them um, that it's something they're working on, but not me. That's I've, I've been hearing that for two years, so who knows? Yeah. You know, who knows? Yeah. But yeah, they're absolutely my. I mean, just absolutely my favorite type founder. They have amazing typefaces. It's, yeah. it's really unfortunate that that we can't uh, we can't really use them very well on the web right now. It makes me sad. Yep. <laughs> absolutely. So, but yeah, so I think it's just. It's just one of those things where, like, you um, you just want to like scream up and down, like, "Hey, what?" Like, like you said, like we we want to use your stuff. Yeah. Uh, just give us the means that where you're okay for us using your stuff, and uh, and uh, just let us pay for it, you know, some way. So, but, uh, yep. but yeah, yeah. Is there like it's, it's it sounds like um, you know this this whole adage of like the web is not moving fast enough for for us or something like that. So, or maybe it's moving too that's fast. Been, I mean, that's been sort of the case yeah. for. For the entirety of the web, I think you know it's whether it's browser support or it's the W three being slow or whatever. There's always some of us on the on the end of finding everything frustratingly slow and complicated. But um, I sort of learned, I think, a few years ago to stop uh, stop uh, worrying and just move on. Like uh, just to give you a more recent example. Mm-hmm. Is I've I've gotten really involved and in, and in, and definitely embraced SAS recently, which you, you guys mm-hmm. know is a CSS preprocessor, and uh, and that I feel like it's kind of the same thing. It's like I got tired of waiting around for who knows how long before the W three might add some of these useful things to CSS, and just said screw it, I'm just I'm just going to use some SAS and it will work, and and I'll stop worrying about what the W three is doing because I I can do my thing another way, you know. Right. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, I mean, there's a discussion with W3C where, like, I feel like uh, some of, like, we've the web has matured in such a such a way that um, CSS was kind of designed for designers to grok, uh, right. like quasi like markup design, like whatever you want to call CSS, call like design language, if you will, or design markup, but um, and just to throw down variables and all this stuff, you know, which is their argument that it would just blow people's minds who don't right. program and code. And so, but now we're here, like, at this age of mobile and web apps, and all. You know, when we we're building really large websites and yeah. sites that need to be flexible and and dare I say it's, responsive. So, uh, it's just, oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So it's 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 kind of like uh, kind of crazy, but I think it's also just uh, uh, I think it's a great thing that like people have on their own, uh, uh independent of W three C, have like started to work on SaaS. And yeah. uh, actually, for a minute. So I think that's. Yeah, I, I was drawing I, a I was drawing a parallel recently to um, to HTML because I, I think it's interesting. You know, it, it, like the way I see it, like today into on today's web, 
virtually all HTML is pre-processed. Like almost nobody just writes HTML, puts it on a server and then serves it. There's almost always some kind of processing layer, whether that's PHP or it's Python or whatever that right. is, uh, that is, you know, there, where there's programmatic logic that has been kind of wrapped around your HTML uh, via some other language like PHP or Python or Ruby or whatever. And I feel like this, this like the idea of CSS preprocessors is basically exactly the same thing. It's like we've taken this language, CSS, that doesn't have any of that programmatic logic and we've wrapped it, kind of, we kind of wrapped a, a new language around it, uh, like SAS or less, and, and it's basically just allowed us to get programmatic logic in there. And I mean, in, 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 in some ways I've started to, like I'm not even concerned anymore with whether or not this stuff ever does get added to CSS proper because I realized, well, you know, programmatic logic never got added to HTML proper, but, but yet every site out there is dynamic and programmatic. So we figured it out and I think we'll figure it out with CSS too. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, isn't that, isn't that the case though? I mean, we just kind of have to start doing this stuff. You know, we can't yeah. sit around and wait for other people to tell us it's okay to do it. You just kind of have to right. do it. Right. And I mean, of course, the, the, the flip side of that argument is, you know, are we going to end up with a, um, another 90s situation with kind of the browser wars and, you know, people innovating in, in such a way that is, makes this incompatible with that and whatever. But I, I feel like we've kind of learned our lesson on that. Oh, oh, oh sorry, that's, that's my phone. Oh, no, no, it's my, it was mine. It was mine. Uh, oh, I didn't realize the, uh, the volume was on. <laughs> now it's off. You hear that? that oh, wow. That's, uh, that's the uh, Jawbone Jambox. Very cool. Nice. That's one of my, my new favorite gadgets. Anyway. Jawbone Jawbox one? Jawbone Jambox. It's basically a Bluetooth uh, little speaker for your for your oh, okay. iPhone or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, I, I love it because I love it for listening to podcasts and stuff. It's wireless, so I can like just take it around the house. Anyway, sorry. They okay. need to pay us for that commercial. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a, <laughs> this episode sponsored by Jawbox. Seriously. <laughs> Jawbone, not Jawbox. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, so like, so you were like kind of adamant about um, not adamant, but like you know. You, you made a stand about the fonts, and you're kind of like just really pushing for the, um, uh, you know, first CSS processing, preprocessing, and so on. That so, and and you mentioned that you said that you uh, like a couple of years ago, you just you just decided you didn't really care what other people think and um, per se about uh, the web. Is is that you know like like how how has that changed your you know has that changed your life or uh, approach <laughs> to web design at all? Or makes people like me less. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I think for, for me, it's just, um, I, I'm just, I've, I've become more and more, over, I mean, I think I've always been this way a little bit, but more and more over the years, I've just been more interested in just being pragmatic and just getting stuff done. And, right. and, and I, and I, it makes me less and less concerned about, you know, is this going to, uh, if I use this class name as some standard use of somewhere going to, uh, you know. <laughs> make fun of me on a blog or, or whatever. Like, it's just, I'm just getting stuff done. And then I also realize, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of the, um, that sort of standard East mentality and everything. A lot of it comes out of this like, desire to be sort of future compatible or future friendly, mm -hmm. you know, um, which I think is a very noble concept, but I, I've also realized none of this stuff is none, none of the work we're doing actually exists in a few years. Like it always gets redesigned. It always gets replaced. It always gets, it's all temporary. So, that that realization, I think, also made me sort of stop worrying so much about, you know, is this thing still going to be as perfect 30 years from now? Because who cares? Right. You know? Yeah. Well, like it's like it's kind of 
I mean, it's kind of weird to come to peace with that, like the fact that, hey, uh, you know, there's like this always this metaphor that what, what we do is kind of like an architect, we build a house, whatever like that. But if we actually are building a house, it's actually going to still be there in theory, like five years from now. Yeah. Like if you build a website, if you build yeah, a website, I hope it will be. Yeah. In a web, if you build a website, who knows it's going to be there like five years from now? You know, well, it's, it, it probably won't be. And if it is, like, no one will want to visit it. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Including the owner of said website. Right. Yeah. It'll just be some relic that, you know, so yeah, I, I agree. Just like sort of coming to peace with that and realizing that most of the work we do is temporary and that's okay. You've right. been taking the Zen of Django a little, little, uh, to heart there, <laughs> haven't you? <laughs> could be, could be that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I was just reading that last night and that's a, that's a nice little statement that they have there. Yeah. Um, it's a Zen of Python actually, but, uh, okay. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, because it's really for the language, not just for the framework. But yeah, it's actually great. If anybody hasn't ever read the Zen of Python, it's yeah. basically I don't know, I don't even know who wrote it. I should know, but it's it's basically just like maybe ten sentences that explain the the philosophy of the language. But to me, it it really could be the philosophy of just about anything. There's a lot of good stuff. Yeah, it, and just like it, ten it, sentences. It tied in with what you were just saying. I mean, it sounded like your philosophy for life. There, you're you're kind of <laughs> living that. I'm kind of uh, impressed. I don't know if that's on purpose, but I, I do. Yeah, there's some there's some good stuff in there for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> well, uh, you know, another thing that I find interesting about you, Jeff, is uh, following you on Twitter. Um, <laughs> if anybody's listening, you need to go follow Jeff Croft on Twitter. Um, is one of the more entertaining folks um, that I follow. But you know, you also keep me updated. Um, pretty regularly with, um, you know, the stuff we were just talking about, the, the, some bleeding edge things. Um, but do, do you find that you, I mean, I, I've, I've followed a couple of times where you've, I, I don't want to call them scraps, you know, <laughs> what, what is it, what is a scrap really on Twitter? I mean, it's just yeah. debating, you yeah. know, and it, it's healthy debate. I mean, do you, do you think there's a, a lack of debate in our community that we need more? Or do you think that we're, we're kind of doing fine? Well, I feel like there's probably a lack of quality debate, and I and I feel like um, some of that boils down to the, the the way that we choose to debate it, which is usually over Twitter and 140 character pieces, and it's just not it's just not that effective of a of a medium for that. Um, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I I definitely enjoy debate, so I I do tend to get involved in and. It's never personal. It's just I just right. I mean it's literally like I I'll I'll argue either side just for the sake of arguing it because I think it helps you see both sides and helps you understand what's what's going on you know, um, but uh, I, I don't know. I mean I, I think it's it's uh, any any industry could probably use more debate as long as it's quality debate and not just devolving into you know sort of child like stuff, you know, <laughs> right. which it does yeah. sometimes. I mean, it, yes. sometimes it does, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so like, well, like, well, yeah, like so, so what do you mean by like child, like stuff? Like, do you think just like, just full bore tantrums or, <laughs> or. Well, what? I might be overstating it a little bit, but just, I, you know, I think, um, it's, it, it's a lot of it is boiled down to like dogmatism versus pragmatism. You know, it's, it's, which I've talked about for years, but, um, but I think uh, I just think people can get really defensive about things that I mean. It's like, come on, CSS. Do we really should we be getting personal? Should we be like <laughs> yelling and screaming at each other over this? Like, can't we all just have a beer? Uh, um, so it's you know, 
it's really just a matter of, I feel like sometimes it does get personal. I mean, I, I, I know for a fact that there are people who say they don't like me because I mean, they literally like make it personally. Like, I don't like that guy because he argued with me about, you know, CSS preprocessors or something. And I'm like, it's, that's frustrating, but you know, it is what it is. Well, you know, that's sort of, uh, I, I'm, you know, I'm of the opinion that we definitely need more of this kind of active debate about this stuff. I mean, just like you were getting into the, you know, thinking about things like SAS being worked into the, the standards and everything like that. I mean, we kind of need to be doing that, you know, we kind of need to be keeping that up and, uh, yeah, it's I great mean, to see that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I, you know, it's, um, some of that stuff I feel like is not always for me. Like I said, I've sort of stopped worrying about mm-hmm. what what's going to be in CSS proper or what's not because I feel like the community will find a way to get whatever it is that we need. Um, but so I don't know if that particular debate, like should this be, should some of this like SAS sort of stuff be in CSS? I don't know if that's really for me, but I think somebody should be doing it. Mm-hmm. Somebody, you know, and then there are people like uh, Chris Epstein, who is one of the, guys behind SAS is, is definitely out there pushing uh, pushing the W3 to adopt some of these ideas and, and that sort of thing. So, right. so like, I have a question. Like, like how would you feel like could help be uh, raise the level of debate to be of a quality of like that's higher than – which is a tricky question, I must admit. Yeah. But, uh, well, <laughs> but, I do. Uh, you know, it's funny. I mean, um, we – so my partner in Lindell – um, and I actually ha- have an idea, which we haven't started building yet, but we have kind of a, an idea for an, another product, which would be um, uh, focused around providing a, a uh, good platform for debate, or, or maybe a platform for good debate um, would be a better way to say it. Um, I, I, I think that uh, I think that the two biggest things that that need to happen for debate to be done better online is number one, there really does need to be some, some platform that is designed for it. You know, Twitter's not designed for it. Blog comments aren't designed for it. Um, so something that's designed for it, I think would, would, would help a lot. And then the other thing is it's, it has to something, whether it's, it's, it's cultural, cult, uh, sorry, it's cultural, but something has to happen so that people real feel like it's not personal, you know, feel like I can, I, I can totally disagree with you about, uh, this, that, or the other, but it's not, it doesn't mean I think you are a bad person, you know? Um, so, you know, if, if something could be built that was a good platform technically for this and also had that kind of culture around it to where um, this is just a fun, healthy debate um, and it's not personal, then I think maybe something could happen. So. Hmm. I look forward to hearing more about what that is. So. Well, I, I, I can't. I, I make no promises because we haven't we haven't totally committed to doing it. But it's uh, <laughs> we do we do have an idea. So who knows? If, well, like, if, we, well, don't, if we don't do it, I'll I'll put the idea out there so somebody else can do it. <laughs> well, well, that, that you, you mentioned Lindell, and uh, can you tell yeah uh, tell us what that is and what what that, what that is? Sure, uh, Lindell is basically a uh, platform, a community for sharing of Kindle books. So it's um, so Amazon, uh, a lot of people don't even realize this, uh, but but Amazon um, and actually Barnes and Noble does this for Nook too. Although we we don't support Nook at at Lindle, but um, Amazon provides a, a functionality for you to lend 
your Kindle book and, and the idea is that you can, if you, you buy a book, you can lend it one time ever uh, for 14 days. And uh, so, you know, if I have a book and, and Chris wants to borrow it, if, all I need to do is know Chris's email address and I can send it to him. Um, so that Amazon provides that and Lindell basically piggybacks on top of that and is really just, is really like a matchmaking service. So it basically is basically where you can go on there and say, I have all of these books and then somebody else can go on there and say, I'm looking for this book, you know, and then we can pair up. You, we can say, Hey, you have that book and, and they want that book. You guys should, should share it, you know? So it just sort of facilitates the, the matchmaking and then the, and then the process of, of lending the book. Um, it's been going on for just over a year. We've got, uh, we have done over almost 60,000 lens of books. Um, we've got right now 30, I think about 33,000 unique uh, titles. So 33,000 different books that you can borrow. Um, and uh, we started doing something that's, you know, this a little bit more abstract, but I think it's, it's interesting. Uh, we started about, six months ago or so doing something we call it pays to lend, which is that if you lend a book on Lindle, we actually, you actually earn a small fee uh, for lending. And then as you, as, so you, you have an account and as you accrue money, every time, whenever you get to $10, we send you a $10 Amazon gift card. Um, so you can actually sort you know, make money or at least money in, in the, in the um, uh, form of Amazon gift cards. Um, by lending your books, and we we think it's a cool idea because we've we've always had this uh, feeling like um, at least at least sort of it's sort of a um, utopian idea, but the idea that maybe uh, social media sort of sites should be paying you or or compensating you for all of your information, or all, all of the stuff that you're that you're providing, all your user generated content, because you know what would Twitter be without our tweets? It would be nothing. It would be useless. Nice. Um, so. You know the idea of like, well, should Twitter be, you know, giving you a little kickback for for the money they're making off of my content or that that kind of idea? So, um, mm -hmm. so that's kind of the idea behind it, and we're just trying to trying to share a little bit of the love with the users. Right. So, well, like, like, what is it like the business model then? Like, so, like you, so if someone wants to, uh, like, so, like, I guess you would have Amazon affiliate links on there, yeah, they, and then. Yeah, Amazon affiliate link is, is part of it. And then we also, we do have like a paid upgrade, which we call the patron, a patron account. So if you become a patron, uh, you get additional features and, and that kind of thing. So most of our revenue comes from the, uh, from the patron accounts, but we do have Amazon um, affiliate and we also have uh, um, Google ads um, okay. that show up to the non-patrons. If you become a patron, then you don't see ads anymore. But um, nice. so, so there's a few different revenue streams and, and uh, it's been going really well. So. Right, it's, it's, and it, it, if I remember correctly, like you kind of like also like in your in your, I don't want to just assign it to you like you're like a, an upstart, but also like there was a part where like uh, uh, Amazon actually uh, cut your API for doing that. Yes, and, yeah, so. back at so um, very shortly after we started, um, we Amazon cut off our API access, and they and they basically cited a, a clause in their. Um, and their API terms that say uh, that says um, I'm not going to get the exact wording right, but it basically says anything you do with our API has to be towards to the end of selling Amazon content, you know. And and they basically said that we weren't doing that, and um, so it shot us down. And and um, and, I, and it was actually the greatest thing that ever happened to us because it it uh, it 
generated a ton of press. People, a lot of people found it, um, you know, bothersome that they would do this or sort of offensive or whatever. And it was written up in the Wall Street Journal and the Guardian and, you know, uh, you know, things like during Fireball and in Gadget and Gizmodo and just everywhere. And um, no, I don't think anybody had ever heard of Lindell until we got <laughs> shut down by Amazon, which is like, I'm doing air as I say, shut down because we weren't really shut down, but they, they, they took off our API access. Um, and uh, and w- after that kind of big, um, big uh, press storm that it caused, you know, we were able to get in touch with them and, and, and talk to them. And, uh, you know, they, they, they sort of backed off their, their original stance and, and let us have our API access back. And, uh, and it really did turn out to be the greatest thing that ever happened to us because <laughs> it, was the, it was like the best awareness thing that could have happened. Yeah. So, so that, that brings me like another question I have for you is that, um, you know, I know another interview or, or, or that I was reading doing my research was like, um, I think it was like your list apart, uh, 2011 wrap up, uh, issue oh, right. where they, they, they asked a whole bunch of people like, Hey, what, what, you, what did valuable lesson do you learn in yeah. 2011 as it relates to the industry? And I think you, you mentioned that, uh, you know, basically like the website is dead along with the website in terms of, uh, the website is, Kind of like now an app. Uh, there's APIs. Uh, you know, and yeah. one example is like it was kind of like Instagram now. Where uh, what is Instagram? Instagram is in is uh, like iPhone. I'm not sure if they have an Android app version, but it's an iOS app. But there isn't like a front facing website that you can actually go like like go to Flickr and go view right. people's web photos. Uh, they actually just uh, made an API and allow people to create their own kind of uh, Flickr version of, of all the Instagram photos. And so, and, and with, and it, you can totally see that, like how like that's what websites are right now. And, um, is, uh, is, is trying to, you know, you know, it's just like this interdependency with other apps and other, other websites and services. And when you're faced with like an Amazon who's, you know, who you built a, like a, kind of a, a business on and they yeah. just like, Oh, well we're done. Or, you know, they, they, they could, in this instance, with Amazon, they said like, "Hey, uh, we don't think you're qualified to pull it." And some of this is, you know, maybe a company just goes straight under, and right. uh, you can't use it. So, so what are your, what's your feeling with like this kind of even more interdependency? Uh, oh, I do. It's yeah, it's something that we've talked about a lot with, with my my Lindell partners um, because you know, especially as we as we think about what we might do next, um, because it is. I mean, it is a constant. Uh, a constant concern for us. Well, at least it, at least it was early on that uh, you know our entire thing is built on top of Amazon, and if and if they don't want it, they can they can pretty much end it with the snap of a finger. Um, now we don't we're not really too concerned about that anymore because it's been over a year since since right, right. we had that kerfuffle with them, and they seem they seem happy with us. We have a, we actually have a little bit of a relationship with them now, so they're actually like I can literally see into their windows from my from my apartment. So. Um, but uh, uh, so, um, but uh, yeah, I think it's a. I mean, I think it's a big concern. I, I think uh, you know, especially as you are, um, you know, developing startup ideas and that kind of thing. It's really important to think about, um, you know, if I'm going to rely on these third-party services, you know, am I certain that uh, that they're going to be okay with what I with what I'm doing and that they're going to be around? For the long term, I mean, we you know we we feel pretty good about Amazon being around for the long term. But if it were, you know, if it were a smaller company or you know, it's right. it's definitely a concern, and it's and it's kind of a 
it's a little bit of a catch-22 because I feel like all the coolest stuff on the web right now is the mm-hmm. stuff that is mashing up different uh, different services and data from different places. And it's all the, you know, the, all the stuff I want to do, everything mm-hmm. that sounds like a, a great idea, it has that kind of a uh, uh, component to it. Um, and yet, those, there's, a, there's a certain fear about that because you have, you know, you're, you're relying on somebody else. Part of your business is, is dependent on another company. So, right. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I find that, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of tricky. Like where you, where you're just trying to build the business and grow it. And then all of a sudden like uh, Google decides to start charging for an API or something like right, that. Right. Like, like, uh, which is, which is fine, which is their, their purview. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, it's a right, but then they're like, "Well, I would be glad to pay, but I can't pay that much." And, right, you know, right. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, so, so do you feel like that's going to be a hindrance, or just is something that we need to take with a grain of salt, and you know, other metaphors I can throw in there too? So. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, uh, it, I, I don't know. It'll be really interesting to see how that all plays out going forward. I, I, um, I, I think for. You know, for now, I just think it's something that you really have to be aware of when you, whenever you decide to use one of these APIs or, or any kind of data from somewhere else. Uh, yeah. Just, you know, you really have to make sure you're asking yourself the question: like, am, am I confident this is going to keep existing, and and it's going to keep being free or keep being a fair price or or whatever? Um, yeah. And uh, you know, it's I think you just have to use your best judgment at this point because I yeah. don't know exactly what. What's going to happen? I mean, I definitely. I think there's no question that these kind of platforms, um, you know, like I was saying in that Alyssa Part thing, that the, the the web to me going forward does seem like it's more about um, services and APIs and platforms than it is about you know HTML and CSS pages, you know. Um, and so I, I think these platforms are definitely going to exist and, and proliferate, but uh, the sort of business side of that in terms of you know, are, are are these things going to be free? Are they going to the pricing structure is going to be changing all the time? Is are they you know is companies going to be starting up and then dying and then you're screwed? I mean, all of that kind of stuff I think is uh, really up in the air. It'll just be very interesting to see how it plays out. Right. right. I mean, it's going to be kind of weird. Like we get to a point where like uh, this API is too big to fail. You know, it's just that we need to. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but. Uh, Oh, yeah. So I, have a, I think it's a good, good time to like wrap up. But there's like one, one question we always ask people is, uh, uh, what are you excited about these days? What, what are you uh, really looking, working on that's really exciting or like we're looking towards that's be really you're passionate about? Well, you know, I think the thing that I'm always most passionate about is is connecting people and uh, and it's, I think we're just at a great time right now because. Most of the, the exciting stuff that is coming out is, is also all about that. You know, it's, whether it's something like Instagram connecting people through photos or it's Twitter connecting people or it's, you know, whatever. So, um, yeah, I, that's probably a little bit of a lame answer. But I think that that is ultimately the thing that I'm most passionate about is just um, uh, connecting people, making the world a smaller place. And uh, I think we're doing a lot of that. So. Hmm. Yeah, I did read somewhere that uh, you you are very you're kind of unusual in the fact that you love meetings. <laughs> yeah, you like, oh, I love. I mean, like, I just I like I like talking. I like being around yeah. people and I like talking. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do, I do, I do like meetings probably better than most people do. Yeah, and not for, <laughs> not for the sake of having meetings, but more for uh, the, the the context was more in terms of like 
you're trying to find a pragmatic solution to people's problems, and and the one way to do that is just keep on asking those questions and you know yeah reiterate exactly. and find it. So yeah, so yeah, cool. Well, um, I don't. I, I think that's about it. Do you have any other questions, Gene, at all? Or? Uh, I have a thousand questions, but I think we're I think we're good. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> cool, awesome. Well, uh, how can people find the first you? Time, on- this is the first time I've ever gotten through an interview without being asked about karaoke, and I thank you for that. Uh, yeah, we we uh, we actually yeah talked about that a little bit, and uh, you're welcome. I'm glad we didn't. <laughs> cool. Well, you're totally welcome. Uh, yeah, how can people find you on the on the web, on the twitters, on the uh, social media? Uh, yeah, I mean, on, on Twitter, I'm at jcroft, J C R O F T. And uh, my website is jeffcroft.com. Those are probably the two best, two best places to find me. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. Well, and thank you so much for uh, sharing your time with us today. And uh, look forward to talking to you in the future. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. I really appreciate you guys having me. Absolutely. We'll see you at Converge. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, Gene. Our thanks to Jeff Croft for joining us on Non-Breaking Space. You can check out the show notes for this episode at nonbreakingspace.tv, where we'll have all the links discussed in this episode. We're also on the iTunes podcast listing, and we'd really appreciate if you subscribed and left a rating or review. It helps us spread the word about the Nonbreaking Space show. Be sure to watch for the next episode of Nonbreaking Space, where you'll be able to hear Greg's story say, You know, writing is, I guess, just like design, but for I think for a lot of people, writing is a craft that you continue, have to continue to evolve. You have to continue improving on.